From the deck of the good ship Lollipop, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two of Shirley Temple's backup dancers, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. What a show we have. Listener Mail, Voxbox, great new titles. A lot of great classic titles, documentaries, television. Uh, no, no, actually no television today. We're, we're uh, piling that up for next week. But music, music. Who cares, Wade? I have a question. Yes. What's your question? And uh, <laughs> oh, dear. now, as you know, I'm not making this up, by the way. As you know, I'm redoing uh, my kitchen. Way, by the way, h- how do I open this bottle? This is like childproof. It's a, it's a water bottle. What no, it's th- open. Just twist the thing on the top. It's got spring water with flora? Well, I don't have any. I don't have uh, a sink fl- now fl- because. Fluoridated re- bottled water now? Is that what this has come to? Who cares? I, I, you know what? I got like 18 of those little bottles for the workers who are working on my kitchen. Uh, and I'm giving I, you the last one, by the way. Fluoridated water. I, I deny them my essence. Thank you. <laughs> uh, that's from Doctor Strangelove. Um, I have a question. No, no, no. Just, no, no just, it's it's open already. It's open. All you do really? is twist that little thing on the top. No, no, no. Don't don't stop the show. Give me that. It's already open. Okay. It's you did. <laughs> you really did that, didn't you? All right. I did. This that's is a very professional show. <laughs> Who really got, got this? Water week? all over my hands, After and my about, pants, and the floor. That's great. After five hundred shows, you've really got it down. Um, so how do you close it? You twist it the other way, but you, all you're doing is twisting it like ten degrees. Oh, I that's see. It. Oh, I see. By the way, Wade is not making this up. Um, <laughs> d- remember the story about how I remember the story about how I, uh, I I didn't know how to use my electric toothbrush. Yeah. Remember the story? I do. <laughs> and you yeah. looked at me like I was the biggest idiot who ever lived. <laughs> I'm I'm now that idiot. Okay, right, so you, I have a question. You, you have a question, yes. I'm sorry. Mark. Because I, I, I have something I want to do when Wade talks about movies I don't care about. So I'm redoing my kitchen, and uh, I want to buy a microwave. Okay. And I have one I want to buy, but I have a question, Wade. Now, you yes. went into my kitchen. Yes. And you saw the area that the microwave will be inserted into. I did. Do you think that the shelf that will be built to place this microwave on can handle a 30-pound microwave? Uh... Like, I mean, the shelf isn't really being supported by anything. It's just like let a me, shelf. Uh, let me whip out my slide rule and do some quick engineering calculations. Like how should lot? I know? But I, wanted, but I want to buy this microwave right now on the show. How, how heavy is your old microwave that was on that shelf? Well, no, the microwave was on the countertop. I'm having a shelf I built see. just to put this microwave on top. Well, then you should ask your contractor. <sighs> Stupid contractor. They know that stuff. I know. Okay, they do. Fine. I mean, thir- you know, 30-pound microwave shouldn't That seems do. like a lot, right? Doesn't 30 pounds 30 seem pounds? like a lot for a microwave? Not really. My, my, my daughter is like almost 15 pounds, so that's like, you know, two daughters. Freaking kid. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, then I guess I'm not going to buy this microwave on the show. <laughs> I okay. really wanted to buy it on the show. It was 200, it's $199 on Amazon. Oh, nice. But I'm not going to buy it because I don't know if it's going to – you know what? I'll have to ask my uh, contractor. You should do that. Mm-hmm. So annoying. All right. Well, now uh, I have to pay attention to the, whatever stupid movie well, you're going to you know talk what? about. Uh, I've been plowing through some documentaries, and uh, figure we'll just do. We'll just. I'm just going to blow through these real quickly. Okay. Yay. So you, can, you can time me uh, like like five. You know, you want to give me five minutes, uh, six minutes. I'll I'll blow through these documentaries. Go. Because a lot of good stuff. Uh, Walk away, Renee. This is Jonathan Cowett's new film. Now, Jonathan Cowett did Tarnation, which was he made for like 18 cents, and it was this this huge sort of self-revelatory personal essay 
uh, uh, that just went gangbusters at, at uh, Sundance, and he became kind of an overnight uh, indie sensation. And this is his follow-up, and uh, it's uh, you know it's good. This is part of the Sundance Select series uh, released through MPI. I gotta say, it's not uh, not amazing. Um, this also screened at uh, Critics Week's Cannes Critics Week sidebar in 2011. Um, I'd like to see him do something that is sort of not um, – this one's about his mother, you know, his mother's mental illness, and it sort of picks up his, his whole family story. Anyway, I mean, it's it's good, but I'd like to see this guy do something else other than, like, you know, do these personal video diaries about his family and his issues. we gotta, we got to go somewhere else. So – well, he obviously has a lot to say, and he does a good job yeah, saying. Yeah, he does. It. But you know what? If you're if you you can't be someone who just tells us your family stories your whole career, that's not a career. That's that's. What if he has a very interesting family, which he seems to have? I suppose. Uh, Whisper to a roar. Uh, this was a bit of a big deal. This did not get an Oscar nomination, did it? It did not. No, that's too bad. Uh, anyway, this is uh, this is actually a really, really, really good film, and uh, it should have gotten an Oscar nomination. What this is is a. Um, I talked about this on NPR, I think, too. This is uh, it, it takes a lot of different democracy movements around the world. This is one of them is you know uh, Venezuela when Hugo Chavez was alive, the people who opposed Chavez, and you know there are others. Ukraine is in here as well, Zimbabwe, and it takes all these democracy movements and it kind of weaves a tapestry. It finds the common thread that holds together these people who are all sort of protesting uh, the denial of rights and tyranny and various forms of totalitarianism, authoritarianism. It's a great doc. It really is. It kind of makes it look like there's a larger family struggling for freedom rather than all these individual. Individual little freedom movements. Shakespeare Uncovered from PBS is pretty awesome. Uh, I, of course, as, as people uh, may or may not know, I named, my, uh, well, we, my wife and I, named our daughter after a character from Shakespeare. And um, this is pretty awesome. This is about the stories that are behind the actual plays. And the plays in question are Hamlet, Richard II, Macbeth, uh, The Tempest, Henry IV and Henry V, and then the various comedies uh, like Twelfth Night and As You Like It. And um, really incredibly interesting. And some great people here who uh, kind of all serve as guest hosts, including, you know, Jeremy Irons and Derek Jacobi and uh, Trevor Nunn, who's just wonderful. Ethan Hawke shows up for some strange reason. Still not a fan of Ethan Hawke's, but uh, really great. It's just it it gives you so much more insight into Shakespeare and the, the richness of the plays. Pretty great stuff. Uh, Errol Garner, No One Can Hear You Read. This is uh, an Atticus Brady film from First Run Features, which has unbelievable people in it. And I'm not familiar with Errol Garner, or at least wasn't previously familiar with Errol Garner, who is this amazing jazz prodigy. He's like this, this anyone who knows jazz knows his work. He's just um, apparently like the jazz uh, pianist. And uh, tons of people. It's a lot of interesting footage here. Just gives you a complete biographical uh, portrait of the of the guy, and uh, some great interviews here, including Steve Allen and Woody Allen. No relationship, you know that. Uh, no relation. Woody Allen, Steve Allen, not related. Did you know that? Really? And um, I never knew that. Uh, and uh, how about Joan Allen, the actress? She's related to both of them. How about Karen Allen? Uh, no relation. So I don't know any. You know, can you name a big actor today whose name is Allen? Um, uh-huh. a big actor. Yeah, not like you know Alan Cummings or something. Just is there like a big major? Not Alan Ladd or whatever. Just Alan, because I think Alan has gone out of style. Another name that's gone out of style, by the way. You ready? Can you name anybody who you care about? Yeah. In terms of pop culture, sure. Named Neil. Uh, Neil Pert. 
How? Wow, you know Neil Peart? Well, Rush. Thank you. Wow, impressive. You. Love, love Rush. Rush is awesome. You do not. I do. Really? Love Rush, yeah. The Last Fight of Peter Ginn's is uh, also a First Run Features documentary. This, and by, by the way, the, both of these have these little, this super slim eco packaging, the Errol uh, Garner uh, and the uh, Peter Ginn's disc. They're like really, really, really uh, slim and probably won't show up on a shelf anywhere in a store. Anyway, uh, this is an, this is amazing. Peter Ginz was a uh, victim of Auschwitz, and um, this is just a, a wonderful. It, it's it, it, this is like the flip side, I would almost say, to um, something like the Diary of Anne Frank. It's a different kind of a, an insight into a different kind of child. And um, he had written five novels and a diary by the time uh, the Nazis invaded Prague. And uh, at 60, I mean, he's just this, this incredible, uh, he painted and he drew and left uh, an incredible legacy of, uh, of creation. And this is sort of, this is all about his, um, this is all about really an extraordinary life, an extraordinarily creative life that was cut short, but left a legacy nonetheless that we, we use to remember him by. And I'm, I'm sort of surprised that this isn't as well known as Anne Frank, to be honest, because he's, you know, Anne Frank, I guess, has perhaps more drama to the actual narrative of her, of her diary of the events. But um, this kid is unbelievable. I mean, truly, it's just, it's just heartbreaking and yet inspiring at the same time. Uh, Girl Model, another one from First Run Features, is um, a little bit disturbing. I, I've never been really keen on the whole modeling thing and how you know young girls who are just barely out of puberty are, are turned into cover girls and s- s- just doused with makeup and shoved into this lifestyle that you know makes them anorexic drug addicts by the time they're eighteen. Uh, it doesn't really this this doesn't really uh, alleviate my. Um, my concerns on that, but it is very interesting, and it does uh, give you a penetrating look into that world and that uh, process, although I don't think it's the definitive film about that. My goodness, what are we getting strafed here? You know, every, uh, maybe once every... Blue Angels? Like, like, once a day, once every couple days, you will hear a plane fly overhead. I think they're leaving from Burbank Airport. Jeez. Uh, Fatherland is filmed by uh, Argentine director Nicolas Prividera, and this is all about the uh, La Recoleta Cemetery, and uh, which is this famous cemetery that is sort of a, a historical touchstone in uh, Argentina. Anyway, uh, the very interesting stuff. There are the interesting excerpts that are read during the course of this thing, and you are sort of given not only an archival insight into the cemetery itself, but what it represents from a historical standpoint. It's a little narrow, but interesting nonetheless. Mark, you saw the Central Park Five, didn't you? I did see the Central Park Five. Got got a Blu-ray here of the Central Park Five. Uh, it doesn't need to be seen on Blu-ray necessarily, because so much of this thing is archival footage. They uh, really, really push us for an Oscar. They, they really, really push Well, this. because it was Ken Burns' daughter. It was sort of, you know, he threw his name on it. It's basically his daughter who pushed for it, and... Um, it's not really a Ken Burns film in, in any way, but it's uh, it's an important story. I you know we all remember the Central Park Five, and you know they were accused of this horrible rape, and then you know it turned out they were vindicated, and it just it's awful. Um, it, it's just an awful story of miscarriage of justice. Don't know that this thing needs to be on Blu-ray, honestly, because no, so much of the archival not. footage is is not high def, so it's it, it really doesn't absolutely have to be. But, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's a, a good, good film. Talk. It is a good film. It's, it's pretty. You know what? You you really wonder about the. The the kids have been so definitively exonerated, 
but you still always kind of look at them going, is somebody not telling the total truth? Do Absolutely. they know they're on a documentary and this I is know. for history and they better put on a good show? You just don't know. But they seem so genuine and they were legitimately exonerated and it is a tragic story. And it, I mean, again, it, it's a pretty definitive telling of what happened. Yeah. But Absolutely. it's also a very specific time in New York history. You know, that, that time now is thankfully gone and hopefully will not come back. Uh, we have Orchestra of Exiles. Once again, we are, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing. The, the Holocaust and World War II continue to give us so many great stories. And uh, we've talked about one already. This is another one. Uh, the um, one thing that, you know, one of the little sidebars of uh, Jewish persecution uh, just before the Holocaust that isn't known is that Jews started, you know, they were, they, there were huge communities of Jewish musicians and orchestras all over Europe. And uh, some of the best musicians. And Hitler started firing them uh, and uh, getting rid of them and basically costing them their livelihood. And there's a little bit of a backstory to that that connects with The Pianist, the uh, Roman Polanski film. And, uh, you know, we certainly know now, that, I mean, still today, once again, it's just like a tradition in a lot of European Jewish families that music is, is what sort of defines you. It's how we, you know, got Isaac Stern and Itzhak Perelman and so many great Jewish musicians that are, that are alive today. Anyway, um, and uh, this is about a violinist named Bronislav Huberman who uh, created a symphony with a lot of these, ex- these sort of uh, these fired and expatriate uh, Jewish musicians. Then it became the Israel Philharmonic Orchestra. And uh, that's, the, that's the story, Orchestra of Exiles. It is a, it is a wonderful, powerful, moving story. Excellent. Uh, you know what, Mark? I got a Blu-ray here, a Blu-ray-DVD-digital copy combo of uh, Katy Perry, the movie, Part of Me. You love this movie. And I love the fact that on the cover of it, it says, uh, look, look, right at the bottom. What does it have on the bottom? You may be a winner to meet Katie no, no, Perry. No, 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 no. Right, very Cinema bottom. score A. <laughs> Certified fresh from Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> it, now, they put that on there because obviously they're convinced that people are going to look at this and go, crap, that looks like junk. And they want to make sure you understand. No, the critics liked it, too. Actually, the critics did kind of like it. And I liked it. And one reason I liked it is because it's very – it's the same people who did the Justin Bieber uh, concert film, which is just crap and trash. Um, but this is honest, and it gets into her life and, you know, her strange upbringing and, you know, very, very, like, uh, evangelical upbringing. She wasn't really exposed to rock music early on, and then she kind of rebelled, still loves her parents, gets along great with her parents. But it, it's very, very raw in terms of what it shows you about her private life. I mean, her breakup, the breakup of her marriage to that idiot – that, Russell Brand, that douchebag, who uh, who tweeted a, a photo of her uh-huh. without any makeup on, which like horrified her. She was very angry about that. Yeah. Well, he twit picked a photo of his wife with no makeup on, and she, the marriage breakup happens basically in this movie. And there, the, one of the most powerful parts of this film is where she is sitting there, just devastated, crying, falling apart, and she's got to go on stage in like two minutes. And you, the camera follows her right into the little elevator thing that takes you up to the stage. And you see her just sobbing and sobbing. And somehow, by sheer force of will, she pulls it together. And that thing comes up on stage in front of thousands of fans. And there she is with a smile on her face. And she goes out and she puts, she puts on the show. It is an amazing moment. And I can't believe I'm saying that Katy Perry, the movie Part of Me, which does not need to be seen in 3D. It was released in 3D, which is silly. But uh, it's, there's some really good stuff in there. We got a Jewish theme today, Mark. We can't get away from it. Uh, I'm Jewish. Broadway musicals, Jewish legacy Yay. From, the, from the Athena line of uh, Acorn is great. Absolutely great. 
you know what? And I'm so we always talk about Hollywood as sort of being a, a Jewish legacy. You know, uh, European Jews that came here and built the studios, empire of their own. The uh, Neil, Neil Gabler Neil book. Gabler book is, is, every, is by the way, every Jew, including me, has that book. I have that book. And, you know, I've got like maybe three drops of, uh, of, of Jewishness, of Judaic. Not enough. Me. Not enough. I know. You're anyway, not Jewish. Uh, not, not, not sufficiently. But uh, anyway, uh-huh. it's pretty great. You know, <laughs> you, you, you forget. It's like Irving Berlin and the Gershwins and Jerome Kern and Oscar Hammerstein and Leonard Bernstein and, pretty, and Stephen Sondheim. And pretty soon you, you start going, damn, there are a lot of Jews in Broadway. Good for them. Well, because it's, it's Broadway. It's New York. They're immigrants. You, you still haven't seen Spam a lot, have you? Yeah, I have. That's great. That's yeah, hilarious. That, that one song. You know what song I'm talking uh, it's about? It's been too long. Oh, I don't remember. You won't succeed on Broadway if you don't have any Jews. <laughs> oh, I remember on. that. Oh, my gosh. It's the best song in the whole thing. It's hysterical. Oh, uh, Citizen Hearst, Now You'll Know Everything. This is the uh, Leslie Iwerks documentary um, all about uh, William Randolph Hearst. And I, I got to tell you... Um, I've seen Citizen Kane, so it doesn't, it, you know, you, all you really go is you're like, wow, Citizen Kane was much more accurate than I ever expected that it was. Uh, but still, it's it's nice to sort of get a, a more, you know, authoritative look behind the scenes. Uh, Glow, the story of the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Mark, my, when I was, when I was a, a, a pubescent teenager, uh, Saturday mornings were very special, not because I enjoyed watching, you know, Hulk Hogan and men wrestle. No, 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 no. I liked watching Glow, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. I remember Glow. You remember Glow? Sure. Big Fiji and Little Fiji? <laughs> I remember Big Fiji. I was like, get that fat woman off there. Little Fiji, on the other hand. That's good times. That's good times. Uh, absolutely. That was a lot of fun. Uh, really, really fun. And it was in Vegas, and it was trashy. And uh, this is a great look back at that stuff. Uh, terrific audio, audio commentary on here with Billy Corgan, believe it or not, uh, of the Smashing Pumpkins, Billy Corgan. And uh, it's just wonderful. It's, it's just a wonderful flashback, and I, I had a great time with it. Uh, this is not a film. Mark, you watched this as well, didn't you? The G- you know, the film? I love this film for about 40 minutes, and I'm like, is something going to happen? Exactly. You know, <laughs> this got, this was, people called this like not only the best documentary of last year, but like the best movie of last year. Well, this happened during, during a very specific time in Jafar's career. Well, well, Jafar Panahi, one of the greatest Iranian filmmakers of all time. By the way, it's beginning to look like... Uh, Christmas? No, it's beginning to look like... Uh, Christmas? No. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas? No, stop it. You're, 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 throwing me out, you're taking me out of my game. You're throwing me you off, have man. no game. You're, have we not established that? No. Uh, no, what's-his-face? It did this, uh, a separation. I know. His new one just premiered at Pecan. Yeah. The, uh, the, the Path, the Family, the, the something? The, the Past. The Past. The Past, yeah. That, it's looking like that's the Palme d'Or favorite I all know. of a sudden. I know. I love him. He's so You know, awesome. he's a great guy. He's really? such a... It could not... Well, you met him. Did I? Yeah, he showed up at uh, our whole awards thing, didn't he? Oh, that's right. Yeah, Yeah. he did. He was there. Anyway, Jafar Panahi, of course, as everyone knows, is under house arrest, not allowed to make movies. Ever since the Green Revolution, he kind of ran afoul of the Iranian authorities, and uh, things are are looking bad for him. And this is not a documentary, or this is not a film, is is basically a documentary that chronicles uh, a certain period of his uh, house arrest, clandestinely shot, you know, uh, under under the noses of the authorities and it's it goes it sort of to the root of what he's going through well, but it's, 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 very, it's interesting it's, no no it's it's very revealing he literally he is on the phone with his attorneys yes wondering if he's going to be thrown in jail can he make movies again if not uh, when can he make movies again it's really all out there so he, and he gets visitors to his home and everybody knows that they're on they're on camera so he makes a since he can't make a film in Iran 
he makes it in his little apartment. And the thing take pl- takes place almost wholly. There's a couple of shots, I think, at the end that's, uh, that's sort of like in the little gated community he lives in. Totally in his apartment. And for about, again, for about a half hour, 45 minutes, you are really, you feel for this guy. You feel like you're in the middle of a piece of history of a great filmmaker. And then eventually you're sort of like, you know, okay, I get yeah. it. Is something going to happen now? I agree completely. But again, it, that's not to take away from uh, from the injustice that he's going through, how great he is as a filmmaker. I just think that this film is great for about 45 minutes. Totally concur. Uh, the uh, the Great Commanders, the collection, is a six-part series from British television that is unbelievably awesome, now on DVD from uh, Microcinema. And uh, this is this is just totally awesome. It, it, what it is, I mean, I was a history major before I was a film major, so I still really love this stuff. It looks at, uh, at, a, at a collection of a half-dozen great commander, military commander guys. And uh, they're just sort of, they're not randomly chosen, but they're not, you know, they don't, they don't choose, they don't choose like a, a 20 of them or 30 or 40. They choose just six and uh, try to sort of paint a portrait of how these kinds of men change history. And the figures in question, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Horatio Nelson, uh, Napoleon Bonaparte, Ulysses S. Grant, and Georgie Zukov. And I just thought, well, that's a really interesting collection of guys. Um... So it, it really does uh, – Brian Cox does fabulous narration of this. It's really, uh, really pretty great. And uh, Phil Grabsky, who did this, you know, he does a lot. He did like the, um, the Beethoven doc and the, uh, the, Wagner, the Wagner doc. He's a great documentarian. He's wonderful. Just love his stuff. A bunch of stuff from um, PBS. Let me just get the PBS stuff out of here. Dangerous Edge, A Life of Graham Greene, narrated by Sir Derek Jacobi. Love Graham Greene. My favorite. You know what? Derek Jacobi could narrate a documentary about uh, the guy down the street. I would listen to it. Absolutely wonderful. Very boilerplate, but it's, it's good. Building Pharaoh's Chariot is a Nova uh, documentary about the amazing innovation of the chariot. We, we kind of take him for granted, and we think about Ben-Hur, and uh, we think about, you know, Yul Brynner getting swamped by water in uh, the Ten Commandments. Uh, you know, that Charlton Heston, if you were on a, a chariot opposite him, you were going to get it. No, it's really interesting. The chariot was an amazing innovation. And then uh, this interesting thing, another Nova called uh, Ancient Computer, which is about the discovery of this thingamabob that they had on this uh, this this ancient ship that they uh, raised. And it was it's like this weird little kind of gizmo that is sort of like an ancient computer. It, it really did all these calculations according to all these gears and... People anciently were kind of smart. Uh, there's a front line called Cliffhanger, Politics, Personalities, and the Fiscal Cliff, which is great to watch since the debt ceiling uh, is coming up again. This will uh, tell you exactly what we're in store for once again. And then on Blu-ray and DVD, another Nova, Earth from Space. Get it on, on Blu-ray. This one uh, has to be seen on Blu-ray. It's absolutely super cool. Uh, this is uh, some of the most breathtaking photography you will ever see all kind of this tapestry of the uh, of planet Earth from uh, as seen from orbit. It's really amazing. Uh, just for the photography alone, it's super cool. And then uh, Shakespeare, the King's Man, uh, once again uh, an Athena release. This is um, uh, a pretty dense. You, you kind of almost have to be more of a, a real Shakespeare aficionado to appreciate this. It's three hours. Of, uh, of really intense scholarship looking at the Shakespeare's plays. It's not like the other one that we talked about. It. This, is, this is a little bit more intensely, uh, intensely. I don't know, what, what would be the word? Like a Shakespeare-file? Uh, Shake-a-file? Uh, let me see. 
Let me just is think of even... random words to help you out. Never mind. Forget Food, it. energy, no, delicate, no, 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 warming, no, 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 soup, no, no. You can tell I'm on a microwave website. It puts Shakespeare in a certain historical context, and it's uh, it shows it's, it's pretty interesting. He didn't write his own stuff, you know. Yeah, so they've said. And then uh, <laughs> Frida Lee Mock, who has won uh, Academy Awards before, who is married to Terry Sanders, who was my first teacher in film school, who has also won Academy Awards. And Frida Lee Mock has been the uh, president of the documentary committee for uh, quite some time at the Academy. Uh, her film, G-Dog, is... Yo, yo, yo. Y- you know who G-Dog is, don't you? Yo, yo, yo. See, you don't. You just, I have you, no idea who G-Dog just, is. It just sounds like something. But already I'm annoyed. Yeah, all right. This is about Father Greg Boyle, who is known as sure. G-Dog. Father, no, he's a, he's a very famous uh, local L.A. Uh, he's Jesuit. He's done, done, done a lot of great work. Yep, he's, a, he's, this, uh, he's this wonderful uh, Jesuit who, ju- who d- is, is like a they gang. Him, he's a gang interventionist guy. They call him G-Dog? They call him G-Dog. Lame. I think it's great. And then Vietnam, the 10,000-day war on four discs. This needs no introduction. This is sort of the, the quintessential Vietnam documentary. It is, uh, it is just absolutely uh, horrifying. If you, if you have no grasp, if you're you know, young enough to not really understand Vietnam except through a handful of movies and TV shows, get this, watch this. It will fill in all the blanks. And then lastly, a lovely box set called The Royal Collection. Um, this, is, uh, this is from BBC. This combines a whole bunch of stuff on the uh, the royal family, and uh, if you are one of those people that just can't stop watching, uh, you know, royal weddings and all that nonsense, you will just go crazy for this. Queen Victoria's children, uh, King George and Queen Mary, the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II, uh, how to be a prince, which is a little goofy. That's uh, you know, kind of a profile of Prince William. And uh, the Queen's Coronation Day bonus booklet is what is included here. The most interesting of these, obviously, is uh, Queen Victoria's children because Queen Victoria, for those who don't know, sort of populated all of the thrones of Europe with her children and uh, her grandchildren basically were responsible for World War I. People don't realize that, but it's, you know, I mean, (laughs) Russia and uh, England and, you know, almost every country in Europe somehow was tied to... Queen Victoria's bloodline uh, during World War One, and it was like a family feud. It was just really tragic. And then years later, Kate Middleton's going to give birth. It's very exciting. Isn't that amazing? Yes, it is. Isn't that amazing? All right, Mark. Let's talk about uh, newish movies. And I don't. I didn't say Jewish movies. I didn't say bluish movies. I said newish movies. Uh, Wade, one of the last reviews I wrote for Box Office Magazine was for a movie called Parker. And uh, Parker stars Jason Statham. And I don't like Jason Statham. I'm tired of Jason Statham. Because Jason Statham does the same movie every damn time. Can't handle it anymore. This one, he actually uh, did something even did something that is almost inexcusable, Wade, which is that he's he... Kinda, he's kind of good at what he does, though, which isn't is, he? No, he's lame. Because he makes the same damn movie. Which is that he, along with director Taylor Hackford, uh, just taking a paycheck here, uh, did something inexcusable, which is that they took a classic Donald Westlake character, Parker, uh, who has only been in two films uh, in... uh, only been in two films, Payback, which I liked from 99. That was a Mel Gibson film. And Point Blank, the terrific film from 1967. Those are the only only two times that Donald Westlake's uh, Parker has ever been the main character of a film, even though Donald Westlake would not allow the name Parker to be used in those movies, and those characters had different names. However, now, in 2013, the Donald Westlake estate, because Donald Westlake passed away, uh, has finally allowed a movie to be made of the character Parker as written in the book, and it turns out that this movie is terrible. 
It's a complete programmer. I'm tired of Jason Statham. I don't know what Jennifer Lopez is doing in this film. Uh, it's a complete misfire, and I just did not like this film at all. Sorry. Not even Pete Hammond can like this film. <laughs> this film is so bad, even Pete Hammond doesn't like it. It's got Nick Nolte in it and Michael Chiklis, who's completely over the top, and Jason Statham, again, he just does the same damn thing every time, and I'm getting a little bit tired of it, but uh, there you go. Parker did not uh, like well. it one bit. However, a film that I liked a lot was Side Effects, which is uh, one of Steven Soderbergh's quote-unquote last films. Now, if you're going to see Side Effects, which I highly recommend... Um, by the you way, should, by yeah, the way, before you get on to side effects, uh, you know the behind the candelabra, his, which is technically his last film, unless he changes his mind. The Liberace thing with Michael Douglas as right. Liberace and Matt Damon as his lover. Um, the, uh, the have you seen the Michael Douglas? I mean, that's screening at can, and it's only going to wind up on HBO here because no studio and uh, wanted to make it, and no distributor wanted to release it. But um, which is weird. Michael Douglas's makeup. Have you have you seen it? Uh, yeah. He looks like Terry Kaiser. <laughs> Oh, I think you said that on Facebook. I did. He looks honestly. I kid you not. When Terry Kaiser played Vic Hitler on on Hill Street Blues, he looked exactly the way that Michael Douglas looks in uh, in this. Wait, you, wait. His character's name was Vic Hitler. Don't you know that? I, I can't Ter- remember. Before it's been a long time. everyone knows Terry Kaiser is basically Bernie the guy from Weekend, Bernie. Weekend He's the Bernie's. dead guy. No, he was also on Three's Company. He was great on Three's Company, and he had tons of TV appearances all through the seventies and the eighties. And he was on Hill Street Blues as a narcoleptic stand-up comic named Vic Hitler. And he wouldn't change his name because it would have been a disgrace to his ancestors. He says, "That's you know, I, I, I'm this is my proud. My father was proud of his name. I'm not going to change my name. His name was Vic Hitler, and and uh, but he was the narcoleptic comic. And it was sad because he would go up and he'd tell a joke and they'd fall asleep on stage. And everyone thought that it was like part of the act, and it wasn't. He was just falling asleep on his feet. That was Terry Kaiser. First thing I ever I ever really noticed him in. Anyway. By the way, you know what's funny is that there's this Speaking um, of side effects. Carry on. Well, I, okay, I, I, one one more story about about, about Terry Kaiser. Because you you don't you probably don't know know this because you don't follow baseball, but the in, the Oakland A's have a thing a dance yeah. that they call the Bernie Lean, and I don't know how this happened. I don't know Weird. who generated this, but when you go to an A's game in Oakland, they do this thing called the Bernie Lean, That's and weird. and then one day I think this was either earlier this year or no it was last year it was last September, Terry Kaiser showed up too. A Red Sox game. The actual Bernie himself really? That's showed great. up to a an A's Red Sox game That's pretty great. at the Oakland Coliseum. That's great, and it was a big, big deal because nice. I, I don't know who figured out that the Bernie Lean should be an Oakland A's song, but there it is. They just mm-hmm. started doing it in the A's Coliseum, and it really took off. Anyway, nice. um, God, how we get on that? Side Effects is a terrific film, and I was one of the first people to see it, which means I read nothing about it. Um, but all I can say, and I'm not going to say much about it because part of the fun of the film is not knowing what you're getting into, is that it is a, it's a crackerjack thriller. It's, it's, Soderbergh is so controlled in terms of what he wants to achieve, where he wants to take you, and how he will methodically take you there to the point where you think you're seeing one movie when it starts, but it turns out you're seeing a totally different movie by the end. Sweet. And I just love how he... He just slowly indoctrinates you into thinking you're seeing a certain thing, and then in the end you realize you're seeing another thing, and I loved it. And it's got um, Jude Law, Rudy Mara, Catherine Zeta-Jones, and uh, Channing Tatum. And uh, I think it's great. I think it's a terrific film. It's uh, very highly recommended by me. It's uh, Blu-ray. Does it need to be shot on, uh, seen on Blu-ray? Yeah, you know, look, um, um, Soderbergh has a cinematographer he's been working with for years named Peter Andrews. I don't know how they met nah. Soderbergh and Peter Andrews, but hmm. I, they must have met in college sometime, maybe nice. when they were kids or something. Yeah. 
They're the same person. Um, but anyway, Soderbergh films are always very well shot, and uh, I just think this film was just terrific. And again, if you rent it, and you should, don't read much about it, because part of the fun is not knowing where it is going. Very Hitchcockian, and uh, I love the double-crossing, crazy, noirish Sweet. stuff going on. Well, it uh, and it also includes a, uh, an ultraviolet copy, as does Stand Up Guys, which I found monumentally disappointing. Did I you like Stand Up Guys. Did you like Stand Up Guys? You know guys? why I liked it? Here's, here, and, and, uh. here's why I like Stand Up Guys. Okay. You, give me this movie. Give yeah. me this <laughs> Because um, no one's trying in this movie, you realize it. It's it, it's almost like to me, it's almost like they're under the impression. Oh my gosh, look, look, we've got uh, Al Pacino and Christopher Walken and uh, Alan Arkin. Oh my gosh, the, the movie's done. It's over. Just, well, just let put just point a camera at them. They'll do their thing, and they'll uh, they'll be all like, oh, "I'm gravelly and I'm a weird and we do a little thing we do." But well, I they do their thing, and they don't even need a script. They just get walking, just will walk on, and he'll just say. Something walkany, and Al Pacino will say, oh, I must grab my ball sack. And shut up. Would you, I can't hear myself think over here. And it'll, it, it just it's, it makes itself. Here's, it doesn't. It's here, like boring. No, no. It's boring beyond all comprehension, especially when they, they go to the you, hooker and all that stuff. You have oh, to, heaven help us. You have to understand, dear viewer, although this is a podcast and you're not watching it, dear listener, that uh, this film is a modest film. If you think you if you think you're going to watch an epic that will be worthy of the careers of Al Pacino, Christopher yeah. Walken, and, and Alan Arkin, Mod- you are modest incorrect. Is, modest is Mark's euphemism for go in with low expectations. No, no, no. I, no, well, no. I went in. I went in with high expectations, and then you realize that that this is going to be just a modest little character study, really about two guys, not three. I think Arkin just did it to work with the other two. Yes, he did. Which is okay, but it's really about uh, Pacino and Walken, and it's just a very uh, purposely slow, a little bit meandering story of these two lifelong friends and their night together. And that's really it. I, I, I think that to knock it for not being worthy of their legacies is to is to put weight upon the material that, that the material didn't, my, it's, it's not there. My that, problem is it's not worthy of my legacy. That's my problem. <laughs> you have no legacy. Um, I will say that Fisher Stevens, uh, tonally, he doesn't really know how to kind of navigate like the character stuff versus the more comedic stuff versus the dramatic stuff. It doesn't necessarily meld that smoothly. But um, I will say that I did enjoy this because I took it for what it... I didn't didn't knock it for what it wasn't and what it didn't want to be. I gave it credit for what it was. We're not really giving you much insight into what the plot is. And the plot basically is is uh, Al Pacino just got out of prison. Christopher Walken's an old buddy of his, picks him up. And you realize that there's more going on uh, to their relationship than, than either of them are letting on, but they kind of both know where things are going, and I'll, I'll leave it there. But it's a, it's an old crime guy movie. Um, now, I want to talk for a second about Ultraviolet. Uh, I've been taking a giant plunge, a big swan dive into Ultraviolet lately because it's what I do when I have, you know, we're putting the baby to sleep, and I'm lying there in bed, and it's taking forever, and i got an iPad in front of me. I figure I might as well watch a movie. I might as well put this to, to good use. And uh, so I've been I've been trying to sort of you know uh, catch up on a lot of ultraviolet movies, get those you know look at them on the iPad, see how they look, so forth and so on. It's a high definition, high resolution screen. How's it look? And I got to tell you, um, this is why I, I created a thread on the Facebook page because I was curious as to what everyone else's experience with with ultraviolet is. 
Not not ready for prime time, not by a long shot. First of all, the quality of the streaming and even the downloading, I don't have a problem with. I, I think a lot of it is really first rate. The problem is no one really understands what Ultraviolet is. First of all, there are like half a dozen companies that are on board, a bunch of others that aren't. We have this thing here, Mr. Hockey, the Gordie Howe story, which is a Walmart exclusive from Arc Entertainment that also comes with a voodoo digital copy. Now, a voodoo digital copy is not the same as Ultraviolet, yet voodoo can be used to access Ultraviolet. The problem is there is like Flickster, and then there's Voodoo, and then there, the, the individual studios have their sites, and all of them communicate with each other uh, regarding your ultraviolet library, but it doesn't necessarily appear the same on all of them. For example, there are some th- films you'll be able to stream off of Flickster that Voodoo isn't ready to do, and then sometimes it'll be like a high-definition stream. Sometimes if, it, if it's a streaming like Lawrence of Arabia, it's a, it's a standard-definition stream. And then uh, sometimes you can download, sometimes you can't. And it's just there's no consistency. It would be so much better if we just went, you know what, you go to ultraviolet.com. Your entire library appears there. That's where you use it. There's one app that brings it all up. You don't have like 50 different players and different companies that integrate different kinds of downloads with Ultraviolet. It's just there's too much. Well, the there's too much going on. It's too confusing. Well, the thing, it's funny because the studios kind of worked together to guarantee that there were some standards for 3D yeah. and digital projection, Yeah, you know? And in, when it came to equipping smaller theaters with uh, did new digital projectors, which can cost like $60,000 or $100,000, yeah. and they couldn't afford it. And I think the studios were sort of, they wanted to make sure that there was not a whole bunch of competing digital 3D formats. Well, there are a couple competing 3D formats, but yeah. generally speaking, just a couple. But when it comes to ultraviolet and this sort of stuff, it's all over the map. I know. It's I all mean, these the guys, map. they need to get together and, a lot and of figure the, it out. And I got to tell you, a lot of the studio sites, like the Universal site, it doesn't work right. It's just, it's, it's a total screw up. I mean, it's the, the programming, the coding of the site is horrible. Uh, the, some of the studio apps that, that are available are just terrible. It's just, it's so, it's so undercooked. The whole thing is so poorly thought out. It's just done. It's like this, it's like a horse by committee. It's dreadful. It really is. They, 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 it's going to fail if they don't, if they don't just fix the particulars. I can't believe they worked this long on something. Anyway, um, Mr. Hockey, the Gordie Howe story, Walmart exclusive. Uh, it's about Gordie Howe. What do you want? Uh, you know, it's uh, you have to be a hockey fan to really, really uh, love this. Uh, nothing great about it. Nothing bad about it. It's just really, really straightforward. Uh, you know, decently made, um, decently acted. And if you don't know who uh, who Gordie Howe was and don't care, you're not going to watch it. If you do, you're going to love it. And it's on Blu-ray. And I would say it's perfectly adequate Blu-ray transfer. Perfectly adequate. You know, perfectly I believe it adequate. says it on the uh, on the DVD box. It does. It quotes me as saying perfectly adequate. Um, you know, uh, I, I was kind of hoping that um, that uh, Sofia Coppola film, whose name I can't remember right now, uh, would be the reemerge would mean the reemergence of Stephen Dorff from the depths of oh somewhere somewhere yes. which I liked a lot. Yeah. And God, I cannot wait to see the Bling Ring. I oh. just when when it was announced that Sofia Coppola is directing the Bling Ring, I just got so excited. It just too. seems like a and thing that she it. would knock out of the park. Everyone loved it. There's something they about her it. and who yeah. her father is and what her age is yeah. and her sensibility. I just know she's going to knock it out of the park. Anyway, um yeah, I was hoping that uh, somewhere would be a, a, a really solid reemergence for Stephen Dorff. 
Uh, however, he's back in B-Movie Land. Yep. Because that's what he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, a film called Tomorrow You're Gone with uh, Willem Dafoe and Michelle Moynihan, who kind of like, I, I, you know, not Mich- I like I like Michelle Moynihan, not but happening. she's she hasn't become the new... I know, anything. The new darling, you know? She's like the new Amy Adams. She was on the Amy Adams track, kind of, but she hasn't really emerged because she's just... I don't know, not dense enough. I don't know what it is. But the problem is that, especially if you're, you know, for women, unfortunately, you really only get, like, you know, one shot at that. I know. You know, you can't, because then you you get older, and now no one wants to hire you as the young hottie, and it sucks to be an actress in Hollywood, because you really only get one shot to be, like, uh, the big time. Anyway, um, this uh, was directed by David Jacobson, who also directed uh, Down in the Valley and uh, Dahmer, so he's very much into, like, you know, lonely conflicted, troubled criminals. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that great. It's a thriller about an ex-con who uh, takes a mission uh, because he's asked to by this mysterious like benefactor played by Willem Dafoe. It's not great. It's based on a and it's based on a novel. Novel, of course, I would imagine is going to be better. It's just all very gloomy, and Michelle Moynihan uh, plays a porn actress, which I guess is fine, but, uh, you know, I'd rather watch a porn. All right. Dark Skies, uh, Blu-ray, DVD, and Ultraviolet, once again. Dark Skies is, uh, you know, I've been seeing a lot of the supernatural horror films lately and that I can't talk about because I signed NDAs for all of them. But um, this is just yet another one. It's just like another variation on uh, the, the, the whole uh, poltergeist slash Amityville horror motif, the, the idea of a family that's somehow been targeted and victimized by something supernatural, horrible, did, and terrifying. Did you realize that I was actually living on Long Island? When the Amityville Horror happened. Really? Not only was I living on Long Island when the Amityville Horror happened, but my uncle, yeah. who had a house in Amityville at the time, really? he actually knew, because my, my uncle worked in real estate, Yeah. right? Right. And he knew the groundskeeper of that house. And what did what the groundskeeper tell him? He saw nothing. Okay. He thinks it's a bunch of crap. <laughs> okay. Imagine that. Well, there's a, there, there's a documentary, a very good documentary that came out, uh, I believe, earlier last year called My Amityville Horror. Yeah. And it is all about the one surviving guy, this guy Daniel Lutz, the one surviving fam- surviving family member who was willing to talk. And um, this guy, his life is completely screwed up. He's not just Daniel Lutz; he's the Amityville kid. Yeah, he's had to live with that his whole life, and uh. he, you know he had nothing to do with it. I mean, he his stepfather was kind of evil, and there was weird stuff going around the house, but he didn't know what it was because he was so young, and maybe it was his dad, and his dad was very controlling. And it ruined his life. And uh, actually, as a as a uh, as a side recommendation, my Amityville Horror. All right, thank you. Well, uh, Dark Skies is perfectly okay. It's not great. It just it just really retreads uh, a lot of the same stuff we've seen a million times in all those same movies. And it's if you love the genre, fine, go for it. But I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm kind of sick of seeing suburban families uh, targeted and, and tormented by you know demons from beyond. It's like uh, enough already. Find somebody else to pick on. You know, Wade, I don't know what to make of Ben Kingsley. Somehow I think that Ben Kingsley should just do, he's, he's older and he's a little cheesy. I know what you're saying. I know, and he I, should I, just I, go and do movies Gandhi like a common two. man. Gandhi 2. <laughs> the Revenge. Yeah. Uh, he should just become like an older B-movie, all the work I could get is this cheeseball guy, kind of like a common man, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about in a second. But he winds up getting these big roles. He's in Hugo. I know. He's in Iron Man 3. Yeah. I mean, the, he still gets these big roles where there's something about him. Like, he's just a little bit cheesy and One old word. over the hill. One word. 
gravitas. <laughs> he does. He brings the gravitas. Yeah, but in Iron Man three, he also was funny as the uh, as as what the villain actually is. Yeah. Did you see Iron Man three? I have not. Uh, there's like a surprise about the villain. I have a baby. Villain. I have a baby. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm limited now in my uh, theatrical experiences. Uh, there's a surprise about who the villain really is, and he does he he knocks that out of the park too. It's very funny. Uh, anyway, a common man. Although it's you know Ben Kingsley, Ben Cross. Two real, and you know what? I'm very glad Ben Cross wound up in uh, in, in Star Trek. Ben Kingsley and Ben Cross they starred in the Best Picture winner at the Academy Awards of 1981 and 1982. Chariots of Fire and Gandhi. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Mwah. I and now, love you too. Here they are, 30 years later, still uh, getting the roles. Anyway, uh, Ben Kingsley plays uh, this guy who plants a bunch of bombs around uh, around all around the world, and he can detonate them until. Uh, you know, until a bunch of terrorists are released. If they're not released, he'll detonate the bombs. Anyway, I, the, the movie definitely doesn't deserve the cast it has. Um, so I don't know why this was made or who would really want to watch this, especially yeah. because it was directed by somebody who's only done one film previously and it wasn't very good, uh, Chandram Rutnam. But anyway, a common man, I'd pass. You know, uh, boy, Richard Legrevenis. I I like the guy a lot. I really do. But uh, I think we I think we you you we like him on the strength of the one film that he knocked out of the park, The Fisher King. Yes. Yeah. And but you know he's done other interesting. He he really has made some other interesting films. And and that being said, he's he's one of these writers who's not easy to sort of you know you don't hire him to just rewrite something. He he has a very interesting way of working. He never structures anything. He doesn't outline anything. He just kind of goes from his id. And uh, obviously his career has not been uh, on the fast track lately, so he figured, you know what, that uh, Twilight thing's been doing well, I could do better than that. I'll just do my own Twilight story uh, with witches. That's what I'll do. And so he wrote beautiful, wrote and directed Beautiful Creatures, which is, look, don't get me wrong, it's way better than any Twilight movie. Uh, but that's not saying much. That's just saying, like, uh, you know, uh, Burger King is better than McDonald's or Carl's Jr. Well, everyone knows that. Yeah. Uh, but look, great cast. I mean, good grief. Uh, you know, Emma Thompson, Jeremy Irons, uh, Viola Davis, uh, Emmy Rossum. I mean, it's a it's a pretty Ooh, Emmy Rossum, by the way. It's a pretty Delicious. great cast, even though the two stars uh, are people you've never heard of. The, the two young people you never heard of them before, but that doesn't matter. It's um it's a great cast, and Philippe Rousselo, you know, is an amazing cinematographer, and it uh, it looks good. It's just it's another one of those movies, and it's. Even if it's on the higher end of those movies, it's one of those movies. And by the way, and uh, Le, Le Gravenis also uh, wrote uh, Behind the Candelabra, which we were just That's talking right, about. That's right, exactly. And then uh, real quickly, uh, Christopher Plummer in Barrymore is uh, is okay. Um, I I don't feel like there's a whole lot to the, the story of John Barrymore, and this somehow... It takes, Proves it? Well, it, you know, this was this was a play, and um, he's was trying to sort of translate this this you know his his the power of his Tony winning performance on Broadway into a movie here, but it it doesn't really work. It's still kind of like a filmed play, and it, it just doesn't. And and I don't think that I don't I'm not sure why he even won a Tony. I think it won I think he won the Tony because he he's he's Christopher Plummer. Uh, it, it just there's not a lot to John Barrymore's life that really justifies anything dramatic. I got to tell you, um, they try hard. It's it's well written for something that really doesn't have any sort of inherent drama to it. But um, anyway, so there you go. If if you want to see you know a filmed Tony winning performance, fine. <laughs> Maybe. What's, what's on Blu-ray? Did what? I mention that it's on Blu-ray? So it's like you're there on Broadway. <laughs> you love that. 
All right, Open Road is uh, Open Road is is the name of a production, not a production company, a distributor that Wade and I uh, admire because uh, they were created by two theater chains. Yes, to pick up all sorts of movies that the uh, studios are too wimpy to distribute, Correct. including side effects. In, and in the, it is run by Tom Wartenberg, who used to run Lionsgate, and I have enormous respect. I think he's the best and smartest executive out there, so bravo to them. If you take a look at the open road films that have been released, they're, by and large, at least 80% are good films. Yeah. Now, of course, uh, we're not talking about that open road. We're talking about the open road movie, which was uh, from last year. It co-stars uh, uh, three people who should know better, but sometimes you can't get work. Juliet Lewis, Andy Garcia, and uh, Camilla Bell. And, you know, it's one of those films about, uh, you know, a young girl, she's uh, waitressing, and she has to decide whether she should, uh, you know, be with her family who loves her and, you know, and, and cares about her, or she should go for this life of, like, complete hedonism and, like, and, like freedom because she meets this drifter and a handsome cop. And so they represent one sort of lifestyle, whereas if she were to hang with her family in this small town they represent another kind of lifestyle and so she's at this like fork in the road and that is the reason reason why the film is called open road uh you know it's fine it's not bad it was directed by uh, uh marcio garcia who only directed one film before that's bed and breakfast from 2010 which was uh, no great shakes because it stars dean kane and what dean kane movie really is any great shakes none mm-hmm. zero so uh, I consider this uh, fairly bland, you know, digital, digitally shot filmmaking Stuff. of no particular uh, importance. So I, I would probably just pass on Open Road unless you really love Camilla Bell because you know what? She's delicious. Absolutely. Just like uh, Emmy Rossum, which you didn't hear me say. You were ranting about something and you didn't hear me say that Emmy Rossum is delicious. I agree with you. I'm not going to argue. Uh, Blu-ray, DVD, digital copy, ultraviolet combo. The Oranges with Hugh Laurie, who's fabulous. Hugh Laurie and uh, Leighton Meester, basically, it, uh, it's, it's a you know, married man, young woman, uh, dark comedy scenario. There's nothing new about this other than it's a very sharp dialogue and a very smart cast. Um, totally familiar scenario. We've kind of seen it done a million times. But when you reinvent it with Hugh Laurie and Leighton Meester and Catherine Keener and Oliver Platt and uh, Adam Brody and Allison Janney, it suddenly it, it's like a, wow, this, it's like a real movie. Actors can do an awful lot, especially Oliver Platt, who just somehow turns everything to gold for me. Uh, Oliver Platt, you stick that guy in the crappiest movie in the world, it suddenly becomes watchable. Even if it's just a cameo. You know, have Oliver Platt walk on for five minutes in a bad movie, and suddenly I can, I can watch that whole damn thing. Yeah, what happened to that guy? I'll, he's, just, he's good. He just, he just brings it. He, he's one of those guys who'll wind up, and I'll, I'll probably wind up getting emails about this, but he's one of those guys who should wind up on one of those like CSI shows where you're like, yeah. you know, I'm glad he's getting work. Yeah. Consistent work. Wade. I, I'm not, no argument for me. No, Wade, I've never seen Glee and don't care about it uh, because I'm a heterosexual man. And uh, let me say that uh, Chris Colfer, who stars in Glee, actually made his uh, screenwriting, big screen, big screen screenwriting debut. In a movie called Struck by Lightning. Now, Struck by Lightning is about a uh, 17-year-old kid played by <gasps> Chris Colfer from Glee, mm, yeah. who winds up uh, he winds up like getting struck by lightning and dying. But it, the movie narrates his story from after he had died, recounting his you know final weeks um, as a super nerd in high school. And you know I, what I it's got a good cast. What I didn't like about it is that it seems as if it is very beholden to other movies of that type 
about, you know, snide kids being sarcastic about their high school experiences. And it doesn't really bring much distinction to that um, to that final list of films previous. But again, it's got Chris Colfer, who wrote it. Uh, Allison Janney's in it. Christina Hendricks is in it. Sarah Hyland from Modern Family is in it. Dermot Mulroney. So it's got a decent cast. Rebel Wilson's in it, who's, who's kind of hot right now. Um, but ultimately, I, I just think that this movie... What was the movie that you love? Submarine. Yeah. You love Submarine, right? Yeah, love it. That it's awesome. Coming of age sort of film. Just There's just a million great. films like that. It's great. Um, of which this is now another one. So... Mm-hmm. If you love Chris Colfer, sure, why not? He wrote it and stars in it. But otherwise, I just think there's a lot better films of this type to watch than this, including Juno, which actually also starred Allison Janney. Uh, anyway, so that is uh, Strike by Lightning. Yay. Now, there's another film out called uh, Picture Day, and this is a weird little film. Um, this is about, it's also kind of high school based. It's about a girl who's uh, Tatiana Maslany. I don't really know where she came from or who she is. I don't know what kind of career she's going to have for herself she's kind of weird looking but in kind of that nerdy cute way she has to repeat her uh, senior year of high school so um, she winds up running away with this musician played by Stephen McCarthy another kind of young hipster looking guy and uh, you know they wind up kind of having a relationship and this is very this is the type of thing that really honestly shouldn't be made (laughs) I mean they should take they should take look this movie could not have cost more than a couple million dollars tops they should have taken this movie, the couple million dollars, yeah, and they should have made something like totally different, distinctive, bam, NC-17, get your name on the map. Instead, it just becomes like another th- product. Did you know the Centers for Disease Control tested public pools and found out more than half of them contained bacteria that suggests someone may have pooped in the pool? You know, I read that story. <laughs> I did. I read that story. And then you're like, well, A, who's, what, who's doing that? And, and then, okay, even, even, if, even if you figure... Some of it is like, you know, babies in their diapers and maybe they just pooped and so some of the poop gets in the water so it's not the baby's fault or whatever. Or people, no, who, or, it's, or it's, people who didn't shower no, before the, they went into the pool. It's the big hairy guy from uh, it's just a the bunch big of, hairy bald guy. It's just a bunch, a bunch of douchebags who, <laughs> who uh, guess what I did? I pooped in the shower, dude. It's awesome. Oh, my God. It's going to be awesome. People are going to be swimming in my poop. <laughs> I love List, life. Listener mail. Uh, Al from San Francisco took us to task for uh, being a little bit too dismissive of Mandalay, which was part of the Forbidden Hollywood collection uh, from Warner Archive, because we did not uh, shine a spotlight on the amazing Kay Francis. And uh, he's a big fan of Kay Francis, loves her uh, postcode film, Living on Velvet, by Frank Borzaghi. And um, he's looking forward to uh, Paramount releasing some of her other pre-code classics, Girls About Town, 24 Hours, Scandal Sheet, Ladies Man. Those are the ones that we're going to have to talk about when they eventually make it out. And we indeed will, because Kay Francis is someone special. And Al, thank you for taking us to task on that. And then uh, also got a uh, an email here from uh, Jason. Jason Levy, who says... Um, and this is an interesting – I want to just take a second to talk about this. He says, since Wade took a look at The Hobbit on 3D Blu-ray and wasn't uh, sure if it was running at 48 frames per second, I went ahead and did a little research, found out the Blu-ray for it is not displaying at 48 frames per second. While it's feasible for Blu-ray to support 48 frames per second playback only in future Blu-ray update, it is not currently supported by the current encoding specs. Uh, and uh, anyway, he goes on we talk, to sort of go through some specs, and I should clarify – uh, that uh, what I was talking about was watching it uh, on a television that has been bumped up to 120 hertz, which simulates the 48 frame per second effect. 
and uh, th- that's what you're supposed to do to get sort of the full Blu-ray, uh, the full uh, 3D Blu-ray effect. And it's not the same in the home environment as it is theatrically. None of them, neither of them, are impressive. But I'm not sure that they are ever going to really make the the effect work in the home environment for a whole litany of reasons. Uh, I really do think uh, 3D in the home environment is pretty much doomed for everything except for for games, where you know gamers will get a certain experience because games can they're much more malleable where that's concerned and uh kyle stevens longtime listener writes to us and uh he said regarding he just finished watching the impossible and um asks does a film's adherence to factuality hold any bearing on its impact and reception as it pertains to critical review does knowing the writer or director took liberties to enhance the plot, uh, change the effectiveness. For me, knowing that I'm watching a heavily altered account lessens the importance of what may have really occurred. Conversely, knowing that a film is being as accurate as possible boosts even the mundane parts. It's a great question. I I don't, you know, the the, the classic example is Lowell Thomas, who uh, who's you know was taken out of Lawrence of Arabia as a character and replaced by Jackson Bentley uh, because he just was opposed to the whole idea of making a movie. And he said the only thing that was you know the only thing factual in that movie is the camels in the sand. Um, movies are not reality. Movies are not history, but they can draw on history. And I think you, uh, I, I think you have to find that sweet spot. You know, Shakespeare did, and in fact, that the the Athena title that we talked about earlier that gets into the stories behind the stories of Shakespeare's plays gets a, it really touches on that. It, you have to find a sweet spot where you're taking dramatic license to benefit the drama, but you're not being you're not betraying the history, and I don't. You know, I think every project has a different sweet spot. I, I think you just have to. It has, it's a judgment call because the Impossible, for example, it was orig- I mean, it's a very accurate film, but it's not a British family that originally this happened to. Well, I, I think that generally speaking, audiences when they see a true story, whether it's you know uh, the Hyde Park on Hudson film or whatever it is, if, if it's a narrative, automatically the filmmakers can be as truthful or not truthful to the original original story and material as they want. And they have to be. Because, I mean, what would be the alternative? There is no alternative. The moment you make a film based on a true story, you have to alter that story to fit the, con- the constraints of a two-hour time slot, and you have to condense events, and you have to change events in order to make it work as a film. That's all there is to it. Even documentaries. You know, documentaries, as... as as nonpartisan as you may want a documentary to be, and that's totally based on truth, eventually there's going to be some discrepancy there between the truth and what the director is conveying to you. So really, you cannot go into any film and think it is the truth. Absolutely true. Uh, Walter Gass writes and says, uh, I want to say that both Bates Motel and Hannibal are actually really good shows. Uh, I thought the way you did when I heard about them, but it turns out they're quite good. Also, Kirk's Parents and J.J.'s movie, Felicity and Thor. Chris, not Liam. That was on me. I, I, I yeah. you know what? I, I can't keep the Hemsworth uh, brothers straight. Yeah. Regarding uh, Hannibal, I, I do like the fact that uh, Mads Mikkelsen's getting work. But the only problem with that is that I feel like Mads Mikkelsen, yeah, was our find. He was our yeah. I, I, I feel like, that way too, right? He was the in pusher these, films in these cool films like the yeah. Pusher films and Valhalla Rising I know. I know. and uh, Royal Affair. It, he was our guy. And then he, it, we thought, and now, now it's like I know. every. Stupid trailer park Joe is watching him on their in their double wide in Hannibal, and I, I don't know. like that. I don't either. It's a problem. I want him to be mine. 
And uh, Eric Altieri asks us, uh, so we're all video files here, wondering if you have any strict rules about how you organize your collections. Do you separate movies and TV? Do you separate documentaries? Do you separate TV and DVD and Blu-ray? What about box sets, special box sets? Uh, what about shelving? What kind of shelves do you recommend? These are the questions that keep me up at night. Wade, uh, let me tell you something. Wade used to have the most confusing... I, I just do mine alphabetically at the by, end. By the way, he said the Film Junk podcast made, had three episodes and five hours devoted to this subject. The movie organization manifestos is what they call them. Now, which I, uh, I find hysterical. But okay. Anyway. Now, b- before I make fun of Wade, yes. I do mine alphabetically, period. Now, there are some things where, like, if it's a box... Like, if, like the Stanley Kubrick box set goes under K for Kubrick. The Alfred Hitchcock box set goes under H for Hitchcock. So, obviously, there's some discrepancies there. There has to be. But basically, it's all alphabetical. Now, Wade, I remember years ago going to Wade's house yep. and seeing the literally 6,000 DVDs that you have. Literally, yep. I'm not sure if you've winnowed that down at all. but uh, A little bit. You and, and, and I used to go through your pile, your 6,000, and I used to grab stuff to borrow. And as I went through it, I realized that you were out of your mind. I am out You of my would mind. do it not only alphabetically, but you would have directors... Uh, you would have box sets. Yes, I, I I had my film authors. Well, I had tell. I would separate move DVD and Blu-ray together for sure. But I would separate out. Uh, and actually, right now I keep all my Blu-rays separate. Uh, I I divided that up. But I would have movies alphabetically. But then I also had uh, schlocky films. I had exploitation films in their own section. I had horror films in their own section. I had martial arts films in their own section. I had foreign films, foreign language films separated out. And then I had my film authors area where I would put, you know, all of my uh, Fassbinder and my Truffaut and my Kurosawa and all that stuff. Cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. Hey, hey, it's what I do. That's the way my brain works. Uh, all right, let's talk about some music and then wrap out with a Vox Box. Uh, Paul Anka. No, no, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Paul Anka, live in Switzerland. Uh, this, is, uh, this is great. This is, it was uh, filmed in Basel in 2011, and I just love Paul Anka. It's a great Blu-ray, beautiful quality. I still say uh, concerts or live concerts are the best things for Blu-ray. They, uh, they just, it's just wonderful. And great big TV and Blu-ray and high def. It just, it just nails it. A lot of great songs here. We, God, Come on. Paul how can you not love this? the hell is that? That's a long-haired chihuahua. Ew. The, the other me. day I hung out with a long-haired chihuahua, and God, this dog was so you're dating effing take, cute. Your dating has taken a really sad turn. Huh? Your dating has taken a really sad turn. Well, at least the dogs will go out with me. Okay. Uh, Paul Anka's great. And, uh, of course, we all know Paul Anka wrote uh, My Way for Frank Sinatra, which he sings himself here uh, on the uh, later part of the, the concert it's great and you know he sings she's a lady and for once in my life and uh you know oh lonesome me it's just it's just wonderful paul ank is great uh and he's canadian you know that right paul Anka oh yeah totally yeah, oh yeah, yeah yeah canada should be proud yep screw that 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 uh, shatner guy and uh let's see mark you got something oh yeah oh, go for that talk talk about that i want a long-haired chihuahua anyway out. um orchestral maneuvers in the dark they were a, a british new wave group oh, um, baby OMD. Yeah. Uh, not OMG. OMD. Mm-hmm. You know, they never were really huge in the States. They were really more like what the cool kids liked in school. Yeah. You know, more than uh, super popular. But uh, they did have some really good songs. And on Blu-ray, we now have uh, OMD Live, Architecture and Morality and More. And uh, there's some good songs here, including Architecture and Morality. Yeah. Uh, Locomotion, So in Love, Talking Loud and Clear, Joan of Arc. Um, so there's good stuff here and it's pretty well shot. Um, they've been around since like 
They, they, I think they started like in the early 80s and they lasted pretty much. I think their golden years were between like the early 80s and like 1988 or so. But, um, you know, they're pretty cool. They're, they're cool. They're older now. They're more polished as musicians. And uh, it's, it's not bad stuff, actually. Kind of made me reappreciate them a little bit. OMD, Architecture and Morality and More. The other uh, Blu-ray we have is Alanis Morissette Live at uh, Montreux. We talk a lot about the Montreux, um, uh, Montreux Blu-ray sets. I really like pretty much all of these, I have to say. These are all good Blu-rays. They're all really well shot. The audio is all good. The camera positions are good, so you get very intimate with the, uh, with the performers. And so we have Alanis Morissette singing a bunch of her classic films. You want uh, classic films, classic songs, mostly from when she reinvented herself from a Canadian little pop mm-hmm. star to like this angry rock songstress. Yep. So you got like "You Ought to Know" and "Hand in My Pocket." And that, that by the way, that album, yeah, uh, 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 "Bitter Little Pill," yeah, it totally holds up. It's a oh, great, absolutely. it's a it's great an album. awesome album. It really is great. It's fantastic. Uh, now she was uh, re- now she was recording this in support of a new album called "Havoc and Bright Lights," but I think her. Career basically is kind of like plateaued, but um, still good songs here. She's still a good uh, artist, still a good songwriter, and Alanis Morissette, good stuff. Uh, Michael Shanker, Temple of Rock, live in Europe. If you know, if you just if you're just a good old fashioned hard rocker, uh, go for it. This is great. Uh, it's an excellent Blu-ray. Uh, the um, uh, shot at the <laughs> Tilburg. What? The doggy. Look at the doggy. The doggy. You're Come on, it's cute. Okay. Long-haired Chihuahua. Anyway, uh, you've got two different concerts here, uh, one from the uh, London High Voltage uh, concert, and then the other one is in Tilburg, Netherlands, and just good stuff. It's just really good hard rock and concert rock. And uh, the other one here is the Rolling Stones' Crossfire Hurricane. Uh, I am a sucker for anything Rolling Stones, as I as I know Mark is, and this is actually a uh, just a, a portrait of their entire you know, rise to remarkable success and uh, excellent stuff here. The, uh, you know, Jumpin' Jack Flash is the song that cr- the word, the title Crossfire Hurricane comes from. And, uh, you know, you get a really, you get a great look into their entire, uh, their entire genesis. It's just a really fascinating thing. And the Rolling Stones are not like any other band in history. I mean, they had their ups and their downs and, you know, uh, some dark moments, and yet they're still together, and they're still doing great music, and still drawing sold-out uh, stadiums. Even though you know Mick looks like he's twenty years younger than he is, and, and Although, Keith Richards looks like he's one hundred and fifty years older than he is, somehow I've, they're pulling it together. I, I've heard stories about how Keith Richards right now yeah. is so old, yeah, and so out of tune, yeah, because he's so out of it that they have to like basically auto tune his guitar parts and on live on stage they pretty much have to auto tune him live on stage cuz he is so he's so old and so far gone and just can't riff like he used to and is out of tune half the time that's okay you yeah. remember what sinatra was like in those last few concerts he wasn't hitting he was that was but no- the good thing with sinatra is that he was such a great performer yeah you know, you can. His he, voice was gone. It was like bourboned all the way to hell. But his, he can perform. Shot. But he can almost act the lyrics yeah, and true. still have that power. Anyway, that's what I've heard. All right, and uh, Mark, <laughs> there what? we. Let's oh, we're do doing it. it now. We're doing it now. It's Fox Box. Hi, Mark and Wade. It's Cheryl Dixon, and I have three questions for you. My first is. What are your guys' thoughts on Colin Trevorrow being chosen to direct Jurassic Park 4? Now, he directed Safety Not Guaranteed last year and has been chosen for Jurassic Park 4. And his choice is kind of like Mark Webb doing Amazing Spider-Man, any director doing a big studio film. And Safety Not Guaranteed was a sci-fi 
large budget film, so this might be in his wheelhouse. I'm a little unsure, but it could be a good choice. And that leads to my second question. Are you guys going to see Jurassic Park in 3D? Well, I never saw Jurassic Park since I was four when it came out. I'm kind of thinking of going to see it. Do you think it's worth the money? And my last question is, what it, movies are you looking forward to this summer? I'm looking forward to Iron Man 3. That's going to be awesome. Man of Steel, which I know Wade's definitely going to like. And World War Z, just to see how bad it's probably going to be. What are your thoughts? Thank you. Great question, Chevelle. Thank you. Uh, first of all, I would say uh, I think it's it, the, that's the weirdest casting for a director for Jurassic Park 4 I've ever heard. But I like it. I'm on board. Are you on board? Well, you know, uh, I, I do get worried. I get worried that... He's never made a big film. No. Which doesn't mean but anything. Okay. I mean, you surround him with the right people, and but that's the thing. They, they, they like these young, untried directors because they can push them around, and that's my fear. I'm sure he can handle the actors. I mean, look, they've already pushed the release date of that movie, so that tells me that things are not moving as quickly as they'd hoped they would, and it was an overly optimistic release date anyway. But the I, I don't know. If he, if, he, if he winds up being one of these guys who just gets pushed around, look, um, Mike Van Diem, one of my favorite directors of the last 20 years, he won an Oscar 15 years ago for his first film character the uh the, the dutch film an amazing movie then he was supposed to do enemy of the state had a falling out because he wouldn't be pushed around and he spent the last 15 years just doing commercials in europe he finally has a new movie a romantic comedy that just got announced at Cannes. 15 years after his academy award-winning first film because he wouldn't be pushed around they like to push these young directors around and that concerns me well i'm also worried about although i do like him in fact i voted him as my i think he was my number one choice for uh, new generation at lafka um, he, I think it was like the only person who voted yeah. for him because I really like safety not guaranteed my fear is that what will happen to him is what happens to a lot of foreign directors that mm-hmm. wind up coming to the states yeah. whereas everything that made them unique and interesting and that got the studio so excited to hire them they just forget all of it and say make me a gigantic action film and that by the way goes all the way back to the 30s you know that, that's that whole system of bringing people over Jean Renoir never made any really great great movies in Hollywood and uh, you know it, it's that anyway. Jurassic Park in 3D, no ne- negative. Negative. Negatory. Um, summer movies we're looking forward to. Uh, I'm not really looking forward to any summer movies, to be honest. What? I'm, I'm, no. You know what? You know what? Elysium. I'm looking forward to Elysium. Yes, you're. That's, that's you know it. what? How, okay. Um, Neil Blomkamp. I'm on board. Everything else, I'm not the least bit interested in. That's the uh, only one. Well, having seen Star Trek. Um, I can tell you that uh, I'm done with. I, I've seen that. Man of Steel, I am more curious to see how much Snyder is going to either blow it or surprise us. I am more interested in the fall season. I think the fall is going to bring some amazing movies. And well, a lot of them are already screening at Cannes and they're getting great reviews. You know, we, we talked about The Bling Ring, uh, uh, Inside Lewin Davis. Inside Lewin Davis, which has got a great review, uh, you know, The Past. Also, the, the, Gravity, I am really curious about. The. Uh, Yes. Yeah. How do you, you, how do you not want to see that? You know, it's gonna I, be awesome. I, Come on, it's Alfonso Cuarón. He directed you know, Children looks, of Men. It looks like a less realistic, feature-length version of the, the 2001 scene, swapping out the uh, the, the, the SE 432 unit or whatever. No, no. What I well, he, okay. How amazing would it be? And again, I don't know. I know nothing about the film. But how amazing would it be if the film is like, let's say, two hours long, and Literally an hour and 45 minutes of that movie are two characters floating in space, talking, worrying about if they're going to live or die. How awesome would that be? 
that would be totally Pirates. awesome. Yeah, okay. You love that. You know, if David leaned to they, oh my God, it's about two people in space. I can't believe how bold it was. We're at 70 minutes. We're done. We'll be back next week. See you guys. <laughs> <laughs>